Ooh, a spicy question. I <laughs> because love it. Because the writing is sort of everything, right? Like you could can fix plot holes, but if the yeah. writing... So some there. readers love that and some readers are like, but I wanted more of this. So it's kind of, <laughs> it's kind of a gamble. Hello and welcome back to the Right and Wrong podcast. On today's episode, I am joined by a best-selling psychological thriller author. It's Ruth Heald. Hi, Ruth. Welcome to the show. Hi, Jamie. It's really good to be here. Thanks for coming on. Um, for people listening, just to give a sort of better sense of of what you write, uh, other than me just saying psychological thriller, why mm-hmm. don't you tell us a little bit about your latest novel, The Party on Laurel Street, which came out in uh, June this year? Yeah, sure. So The Party on Laurel Street is about, well, in 25 years ago, there were three little girls aged 10, and there was a New Year's Eve party on their street that all their parents were at and they decided to escape and have their own party in the woods behind the kind of country estate where they all live. Um, Now at that little kind of midnight feast type party, one of them then disappeared and was never seen again. Um, And now 25 years later, the two other girls, women now in their 30s, um, are both living back in that street. So Mel, who's the protagonist, has just inherited her grandmother's house in the street. And her friend Gabby, who was also at the Midnight Feast, is already living there with her husband. Um, And at the time that the girl went missing, their friend, the the maintenance man who did a lot of work on this country estate, he was the main suspect. And now Mel's moved back to the street. He seems to be making a reappearance in the shadows and she feels he's following her. Um, Her friend also feels like that. And then her friend also disappears. So now two of the three, and also after a party. um, So now two of the three girls um, are are, are not there. And what happened to them? What will happen to Mel? Kind of what kind of role can she play in finding her friend? What what happened in the past, et cetera, et cetera. So, So that's the kind of basic premise. It's a very interesting, I'm fascinated to know where that story begins for you. Like, do you start with the the thing that happens in the past or do you start with the characters in the present and think, oh, what's the thing that is like holding them back that happened to them that scarred them from when they were younger? Mm, That's such an interesting question. So for that book, it was definitely the thing in the past. Um, I like the idea of children kind of slightly not neglected, but not watched properly and what they might do, the fun they might have, but also the danger they could get into and the complexity of that. So that one certainly started in the past with a kind of image of the woods. Um, And then I think as I kind of move forward in my career and have written more more books, I'm trying to match different ideas that I have. So for the setting for that of a kind of, it's a country estate, so there's a former big house and then cottages that would work as cottages around it on the lane um, street. So I wanted to use that kind of quite evocative setting in the middle of nowhere, a close-knit community, trying to match kind of different <laughs> different things that I want to do, I think. So the setting came quite early on as well. And then um, it was actually quite a hard book to write. I think the present-day aspect of it proved quite difficult I'm not quite sure why sometimes books come out really really simply and easily and sometimes yeah. they don't um and it's hard to know the 
the difference really but thinking about my other books so the nanny um that's about a baby who goes missing this time in thailand um and the the nanny looking after the baby is accused and i think that definitely the nub again was that past story and not so much for present day story um um so I think I'm trying to think about my other books generally I think generally it's for the past story is the most interesting and then the present day bit for me is the jigsaw of who is this person now how does how does their past influence them what what kind of threat are they under today um because I feel like there always has to be something a threat in the past and a threat today and it's the combination of those things and how they relate that kind of drives the story forward yeah, it's a really interesting structure to write stories with because on the outside, it's like, oh, there's a thing in the past which catches up to them. But then I, I guess you also use that very cleverly to sort of be like, this is actually the character study. And the thing that happened in their past is just the sort of uh, the events that informed the character that they are today. So it kind of, you, you're, you're blending the two of like the the literal action that's happening with the sort of subconscious character development that that and you the sort of origin of where that character has come from and why they are the way they are now. Yeah, yeah. So depending on, on when the past was, it, it can be something their kind of flaw in the first place may have influenced what, what they did in the past, say if they're an adult, and then they kind of go on a journey sometimes to to learn from that flaw and those events and to kind of almost rectify it in the present. And at other times when it's like not their fault at all, then it's much more about how it's affecting them today. Yeah. Going off what we've just talked about, I'm going to guess that you are someone that plans novels. Um, well, yes and no. So I always write a plan. Okay. <laughs> <And> I, <laughs> I, I, really, I really enjoy writing plans. Okay. I love doing a spreadsheet. I love laying it all out, color coding it, all of that stuff. But well, the other side of my personality is I really hate following plans. <laughs> so, <Okay>. um, <laughs> unfortunately, so I always have a plan. I'm always quite happy with it. I'm always pleased with it in and as itself as a plan. But the reality is the book that comes from that plan is very rarely anything to do with it. Or like it can be, like the, the premise and the subject will probably remain the same. The ending often remains the same or similar. But the stuff in the middle, I, I think it's hard, you know, with a plan because a summary can never capture what happens in a book, really, yeah. a chapter-by-chapter chapter summary. Um, and you just don't know how those points are going to turn out or, like, your character might – you're writing on a, about a birthday party in one chapter or something and then it turns out they do something completely different to what you'd expect and then lots of drama can come from that. And if you go back to your plan and the next scene might be something quite – you know, you haven't really thought about it, it's a bit, sounds a bit dull. Like, it, it easily goes off track, I think, from a plan quite early on. And you really have to, well, in my experience of the way my mind works, I really have to let it go off track. Because if I'm trying to force it back onto the track that I've planned, uh, then it, it comes out quite stale, I think, the writing. It's much harder to work like that, in my for me. Writers that I've spoken to or that I know who, who go for a more, like, pantser like make it up as you go approach that's the issue that they always have the planning is so they're like it doesn't feel organic like they can't make it work with a plan and keep it the way that they want to write it i'm wondering 
what when you so you have your plan and then you start writing it presumably you do stick you know as you as you start you are on the plan and then eventually you'll go off the rails when you do veer away from the the planned route mm. do you literally just does the plan just sort of you know it's like you just chuck it out the window at that point or is it always there as like a reference and like even though you're sort of very far off it at that point are you still sort of vaguely referring to it to see if maybe you can bring this back on track um well funnily enough i'm writing my book nine my ninth psychological oh no book eight sorry i'm getting confused book eight (laughs) of my psychological thrillers at the Uh moment and i wrote a plan and i was happy with it more or less um and then i started writing i'm not writing in order i'm just writing the scenes that come to me oh Um, okay and i've decided i'm not gonna look again at that plan (laughs) until the end Okay. Um, and then see if there's anything from a plan that I want to put in. Because often, so one page synopsis, it has so little detail in, it will just have the key twists and the kind of key points that you can't, I don't think you can really write a book off that. It's quite hard. I mean, you can try and you can try and write to the midpoint. You can try and write to the twist. But actually, as you're going through, you think of better twists. You think of better midpoints. Your midpoint ends up being like three chapters in instead of in the middle because actually, if you've only thought about those points, you haven't got anything else to put in. Yeah, um, yeah. So, so I don't, I don't think it's too tricky to go at the end and look at the synopsis and see if there's a few more things that I need to to plug into the story to make it. Um, just a few like little extra twists that might not be the main twists anymore. If it's, in fact, in fact, I have no idea how much this has gone off the rails. Um, it may not have done, <laughs> but, but the point, the point is when I start to look at those plans, it's often confusing because you're trying to then shoehorn in plot points that worked in a kind of 200 word synopsis, but actually your characters have done, they've got slightly different personalities behaving slightly differently more interesting things have happened. Yeah. That, that, it, that it's kind of like you're then almost putting together two separate stories and forcing them together. And I don't think that works particularly well because I, over years I've tried to do that kind of thing. Um, and it, it just makes life harder and you end up deleting so much. So yeah. this time I'm not looking too closely at it. But I, I, when it comes to the end and when I have to submit that, I'll just double check to see if there's anything I can kind of put in from it. I think the point for me is that with my editor, the exciting points and the premise that we talk about and we get excited about and chat about, those are the points that still have to be there. When I then go away and write the synopsis, I'm kind of trying to perform to a structure. And not every point in that synopsis is the point that excited me and my editor sometimes those points are just to fill the synopsis and make it a a sensible structure that will kind of keep the reader reading so if you still I feel like as long as I've still got the points that excited us in the first place it's okay to deviate that's my personal view um really (laughs) but I I don't know I'd be interested to hear my editor's view actually she may (laughs) feel entirely differently but but I think you just have to keep the excitement and the passion and the reason you both decided that that was the right plot more yeah. than the detail of how that plot is executed. Okay, that's really interesting. Yeah, sort of a hy- hybridization of you like to make a plan, but you're very happy to go off the plan and sort of make it up. That's that's it's. I've not heard 
people probably do that approach. Maybe they haven't told me, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've not heard anyone explicitly uh, uh, explain it like that. It's an, it's an interesting process to do. And it's not like the plan is valueless because I'm not saying I'm making a plan just for the sake of making a plan. I get a lot of value of my, in making that plan because it makes me think of lots of alternative plot points. And yes. sometimes I write one version and actually I want to change something and I'll realise subconsciously I then go back to something in the original plan but I had to kind of go through that process to realise that that point worked rather than something else or one of the other threads will have changed and it will make that make more sense. So yeah. I guess it's like a jigsaw puzzle, but with like lots of different pieces that sometimes fit. But when you change, like you're changing the jigsaw all the time, it's not yeah, the same yeah, picture. Yeah. Like you're starting and you're trying to make one picture and then you tr- change it into a slightly different picture. And then the picture at the end is a combination of a plan and the first draft, but it's neither. <laughs> <laughs> that makes yeah. any sense if anyone whatsoever. followed that <laughs> you understand yeah, no. how ruth's process works <laughs> yeah yeah so it's not entirely um logical perhaps but it works so you've obviously honed this in over many books and lots of writing so that like you get it and this is what you figured out the thing that works for you which is great yeah i think so yeah and as you mentioned you are working on your uh did we it was eighth eighth book? eighth book <laughs> yeah yeah eighth psychological thriller it's my ninth book yes but yeah okay yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> and all of your thrillers they are standalone stories right yes you haven't that's done right. any sequels yeah. would you ever do no. sequels um i find it quite hard in this genre to do a sequel yeah i guess that's because true because the way my books off because they're so often about past secrets then they're kind of used up (laughs) in the first one um I think um I know some people have successfully done really good sequels um I think for me the way to do it would be to follow a character like just one character into a sequel rather than the whole cast if you see what I mean because you need to have a new cast to make mistakes to develop all of that kind of thing so I think it is possible I don't think any of my books as they stand would suit a sequel, a sequel. no that makes I sense. wouldn't rule out entire I wouldn't rule it out in the future um but at the <laughs> moment I haven't designed them in that way that, yeah that that would suit really do you think of your books as all existing in the same like universe uh yeah I mean my books are present day kind of usually West London. <laughs> so yeah, they're definitely they're definitely in the same similar settings and similar universe. Yeah. Do you ever um I actually spoke to uh Mark Edwards recently, who's oh, yeah. also a psychological thriller author. Yes, yes. And he same as you, like all his books are standalones, but he 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 loves to do like a he'll have like a character or like um one of his the stories that he wrote about is is being made into a Netflix movie in oh, the universe. Wow. And yeah. like, he does all these li- just really small kind of Easter egg crossover things. Oh. Do you ever do anything like that? I do not, no. Um, but I could <laughs> but do, what well, do you mean? Well, you mean like putting a character from one book into another book? Yeah, do but you, not as like, I don't, it's never as like, like a main. a hairdresser or something, like something kind exactly, of really innocuous. Yeah. 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 I, I think um, he said, yeah, one of his books, the the plot of that book was being made into like a true crime doc on Netflix. And in one of his other books, one of the characters was watching the oh. true crime doc of the story that he told in the other book. Oh, I love that. Yeah, that's yeah. good. Just fun yeah. stuff like that. And yeah. I'd love to ask you something I asked him, actually. 
um, mm-hmm. because it, I always think it's it's so interesting with um, authors who have written um, several books at this point. You know, you've you've almost written, you've almost published ten books at this point, which is which is a hell of a lot. Mm-hmm. How do you tackle? Um, and this is especially difficult because, uh, as you say, they're all standalones. So every new book you write has a new set of characters yeah. and it's a new story. How do you tackle the challenge of making sure that it's like fresh and new and you're not retreading the same kind of things that you did in previous novels? I think that's, it is a real challenge actually, especially in this genre where I think it's getting tighter and tighter and the requirements are getting more specific. Certainly over the years that I've been with Bookature, that they certainly have more of an idea of what, what they want. That's more prescriptive. Um, and there are only so many stories um, within that, I think. Um, mm-hmm. So, so it, it gets harder and it gets harder to think of um, original twists. But so far, I would say I haven't struggled with the overarching ideas. I always have quite a lot of ideas just bouncing around in my mind. So that's not like the premise I have I have lots of those, so that that's not any trouble really. But trouble comes when you're writing the scenes and you want something. You know how many people have been pushed down the stairs in my novels a lot because <laughs> yeah. you want something that could be an accident or could of you know or it could have really someone that could have pushed you. Yeah, and there's only I don't know. Like maybe I need to watch more movies, try and think of more, but. I feel like some of those kind of things where you need that device, there's only so many ways you can do it. Um, and other scenes like, sometimes I need like a scene in a club where everyone's getting really drunk or something like that. And sometimes when I go to write that scene, I feel like, oh, I think I've written this before. So it's more at a scene by scene basis that it, it, it's kind of hard to, I find it a little bit difficult to, you know, or a coffee shop scene, like how do I make it different from a coffee shop scene I've written in a different book, like in terms of describing the background, what's going on. Yeah. So, so that that level I find hard personally. I'd love to that speak to sense. people who've, who've written like 30 books or, or something like that and work out how do they do it? How do they make those scenes different in, in future books? Because you kind of remember, I think, subconsciously, even though I haven't read those books for a long, long time, my other books, I remember subconsciously and I feel like maybe I'm not writing this as fresh. Maybe I'm re- almost rewriting the scene that I had in the previous book. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I'd love advice on how to do that, to make it those scenes, <laughs> individual scenes different every time. And then of course the other thing is character. Um, I, I think psychological thrillers require a certain type of character as well. Cause you have to, you have to have someone who's made, made a mistake usually or some kind of mistake is helpful. They've got to be a bit flawed. Often for all the plot twists, twists to happen, they've got to be a bit gullible. Um, so, so you know, and, and how many variations on that can you have? Um, yeah, so, so I think it, I think it is, is difficult. I try to make my characters reasonably different from each other, but usually they're women in their kind of 30s um, and... With, usually with kids, because I mean, to be honest, I've I've thought a lot and have started books writing, uh, writing them about women without kids. But kids are such a good device. Um, uh, okay. Because you know yeah. there can always be a threat to the kid. Uh-huh. You know, if you need another plot point, <laughs> you can put a threat to the kid. Um, so yeah, I do really want to write um, 
more about women who don't have kids, um, uh, you know, living a, a single lifestyle. Um, but at the, at the moment, I found that I've started books like that, and then I've I've, I've kind of cheated a bit and added in a kid <laughs> later on <laughs> to add in. It's just another layer of tension because there's a threat That's to the it. person, obviously the protagonist. But, you know, if you add a kid and also because animals, um, you know, like the number one rule is you can never hurt an animal. People don't even like animals being threatened to be hurt. So you can't really add an animal and threaten them. But you can threaten a kid and people don't complain. So, so yeah. So, yeah. so it's quite interesting the kind of boundaries you end up operating within, I think, because they're kind of genre rules. And obviously you don't have to obey every rule. It doesn't work like that. But I think you want to obey most of them, if you can. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting now that you've mentioned adding children adds this because obviously, yeah, there's the threat of the children being in danger, which is, and then your your MC will, you know, it's drop everything because the children are the most important. But there's also an interesting thing with children where the adult characters often don't want to tell them what's happening because they don't want to put yeah. that on on them. So there's there's a you get a sort of um, freebie of why you can have miscommunication because it's like oh no because they're young mm. children and you don't yeah. want to tell them about you know the bad person or the, the killer or whatever yeah 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 that's that as well it just adds a few more layers really yeah um, that's so interesting um i wonder if we can change topic a little bit here move on to a bit of more more sort of industry publishing stuff you are with bookager as you mentioned yeah um very interesting imprint because i, I feel like they're they're part of a sort of evolution of, of changing a little bit how publishing, how publishing works. Mm, um, yeah. Have you always been with Bookature throughout your, yeah. your whole publishing career? Okay. So how did you first um, find them? How did you, how, how did that kind of partnership come about? Well, it was a bit of a um, coincidence in a strange sort of a way. So I went to the York Festival of Writing, I think it was in 2017. Um, and I'd signed uh, you you got these two talks with like an agent or publisher as part of your 10 minute kind of pitch sessions as part of your ticket price and one of them was with a lady called Catherine uh, Torsig I think that's how you pronounce the name um, and she at the time I signed up she was with a different publisher but by the time I saw her she'd moved to Bookature um, and so I realized she'd moved to Bookature before she, she came um, before I went and um did a bit of research and I got I just got really super excited actually by what Bookature was and what it stood for and how it was different. So I'd self-published one novel before um, and I'd kind of struggled with the marketing really and hadn't got very excited by the marketing. And it felt to me that Bookature just had this great combination of the kind of skills and mindset of self-publishing and also the traditional publishing element as well, um, like all, all the editing they do. And it just seemed like a perfect fit for me. And then luckily, I was really lucky because she just, she liked the pitch that I gave for my book. Um, that she Her list was full, so she gave it to another one of her editors who also liked it. And then I got signed. So it was a bit of a coincidence because I hadn't heard of Bookature until I happened to be meeting her and then looked them up. And I really did feel like I'd felt when I self-published that there was a gap in the market for that kind of publisher who can do the marketing for you and is much quicker 
and prioritizes digital and has these advantages on, on traditional publishers in that space. Um, so yeah, so that's how it happened. I hear only good things about um, yeah. all of the authors I've had on talking about Richard say how supportive um, they are and, uh, and all of this stuff like that. Yeah. Do you have a literary agent? No, I don't actually. Um, so at the time I had the offer from Bookature, I also had two offers of representation from agents who were really good agents. I really enjoyed talking to them, liked them. They both shared my vision and it was really exciting talking to them, but I was also so excited by Bookature and I felt at the time and probably to some extent still do now that there's not as much they can add in that relationship with, with Bookature as they yeah. could with it. Like there's loads, they would be absolutely incredible and invaluable with a traditional publisher. There was no doubt about that, but I think in that relationship and bear in mind, I already had the offer I just, I felt I was happy to go it alone. I think I wanted that direct relationship with the editor. I didn't really want a third person necessarily involved. And to be honest, I haven't, I don't think I've had, there's been some scenarios where I think, oh, an agent might be useful, but, but yeah. there's not been any big ones where I've thought, oh, I really need an agent. Uh, certainly not yet. That could all change, of course. But um, for me, dealing with, Bookature director has been a pleasure, really. Um, I've had two ed- two editors. I'm about to get a third, and everyone has been amazing. Uh, there just haven't been the issues where I feel like I'd need a, a third party involved. Yeah, no, that's that's also the vibe I get. Um, just with the way that Bookature operates as well, and because obviously they are they have open submissions you can submit directly to them as a querying, yeah. uh, as a querying writer. So, so it all makes sense. Awesome. Um, so far, a hundred percent of the reviews I've heard for Bookature are good. <laughs> from yeah. The authors. Yeah. I'm not surprised. Yeah. Um, and as we move towards the end of the episode, um, I do just want to ask, uh, as someone who has, has been doing this for a while, who has many books out, um, what advice do you do you give to authors and the like when when people ask you, oh, I'm I'm trying to get into publishing. I'm, I've I've written some stuff. I'm trying to get my work out there. Uh, what should I do? Gosh, I mean, it depends at what stage they're at, really. I mean, I think most of the people that I know who are published certainly wrote a lot of books before they were published, me included. Um, and I think that aspect of just resilience <laughs> is so important like not take well when I say not ta- I was about to say not taking no for an answer but I don't mean when an agent says no don't take that for an answer I mean when someone says no don't take it as a reflection on you or your writing particularly unless they have specific feedback because it's so subjective um and don't more don't take it on a reflection of whether you should continue to write because everyone can improve usually it's just subjective and it's just kind of keeping going and like submitting the manuscript to lots of agents to lots of publishers if that doesn't work writing another manuscript you know trying again a year later trying again five years later just it's all of that I think is sometimes underestimated by people it's not as straightforward as someone has a brilliant book everyone's going to want to pick it up at all I mean it's so so subjective at every stage, at the agent stage, at the publisher stage, at the reader stage even. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and all publishers and agents are doing are trying to predict what readers 
will want um and everyone knows i guess as a reader themselves what they want so so I, so i think you just have to have a really thick skin and be able to kind of bounce back from from every setback and to know i mean the thing that we all have in common i think the writers i know is that we've kept going and that's probably the main thing we have in common obviously we can all write but but it is a skill i think um that probably I don't know, but probably can be learned. And certainly you can improve your writing. Um, so yeah, so that's that's the thing I would say. Like just don't don't give up and don't let anyone make you feel like you should either as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because the all the all everyone's journeys are so um unique and you know, I've had people on the podcast who wrote their first book and then, you know, um, got accepted by the first agent they spoke to and then got yeah, published. Yeah. Okay. But equally I've had people who have been submitting various different iterations of books for like 10 years, sometimes more. Yeah. I, I think that that story, that first version of a story is quite rare really when yeah. someone oh, submits yeah, yeah, yeah. and a first agent. I've only had that like a couple of times maybe, whereas hundreds of times I think I've had, <laughs> you know, try, 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 keep trying. So I think yeah. i just think if you don't get accepted straight away, it's really not a reflection. It doesn't have yeah. to be a reflection yeah, yeah. On, on anything. And there's plenty of very successful, very famous authors um, around today who have talked about, you know, they got their, their manuscripts got rejected 50 times before mm-hmm. anyone accepted them. Um, so yeah, you never know this needs. You've got to persevere. That's great. Great advice all around. And that brings us to the final uh, mm-hmm. question of the of the episode which as always is ruth if you were stranded on a desert island with a single book which book would you take with you okay so i've been thinking about this and i think um it would be life after life by kate atkinson uh, i don't know if you if you've read that um but it's basically um about a woman ashla and she kind of keeps living for a little bit and then is reborn as a baby again and it sounds bizarre but it's kind of about it's so interesting because each time she te- it's it's about the kind of small things that alter your path that you don't realize so and often in the iterations it feels like she's she's learned something and so she makes a slightly slightly different decision and and the life continues in a different way um and then in other iterations, it's something completely by chance has happened. Like someone's come back from London and then given the family smallpox or something like that, I think is one of the iterations. And it's just such an interesting, I think, reflection on, on life and how much is in your control and how much is out of your control and like the small decisions that you make that you really have no idea that they've kind of created this um, domino effect to get you where you are. Um, so I just think that book could give me so much pause for thought and so much reflection <laughs> on all her yeah. different lives. Um, so yeah, so I, I think that's a book that, and also it would allow me to kind of extrapolate a bit and apply it to other people's lives. It, <laughs> it just starts, yeah. it starts lots of different thought processes for me. So I think if I was on the desert island, I'd need that. So I had lots of different paths to kind of think about <laughs> yeah that's really I mean? interesting yeah it's a sort of like butterfly effect sliding doors exactly that kind of thing yeah 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 yeah, yeah, okay. yeah yeah that sounds really cool that's really interesting well thank you so much ruth for 
coming on the podcast and telling us all about your your writing and um, working in publishing and all this all this fun stuff. It's been really cool chatting with you. Um, yeah, thanks for coming on. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's been really interesting and fun. Thank you. And for anyone listening, if you want to keep up with what Ruth is doing, you can follow her on X, aka Twitter, at RJ Heald, uh, or on Facebook at RJ Heald Author. You can also find her website, ruthheald.com. And to make sure you don't miss an episode of this podcast, follow along on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook. You can support the show on Patreon. And for more bookish chat, check out my other podcast, The Chosen Ones and Other Tropes. Thanks again to Ruth, and thanks to everyone listening. We'll catch you on the next episode. So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media. Source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. 